This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is just coming up to 5.08. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. First up today, a recent case of child abuse has reopened conversation about community involvement when it comes to preventing child or domestic abuse. So... What happened was that a single mother and her female companion were arrested in Pasegudang last Friday over the alleged abuse of a seven-year-old boy in their house. Now, the 27-year-old single mother and her 30-year-old friend um, were arrested after a report was lodged by a member of the public. And uh, the boy in question um, was actually the son of the single mother, um, currently undergoing treatment in the uh, Sultan Ismail Hospital. And um, before that arrest, a video recording had actually gone viral on social media of members of the public essentially rushing into a house. Um, and it's believed that it was to rescue a child um, that was suspected of being ill-treated by his mother and, and her friend. Now, this um, has, of course, opened up questions about the role of a community and, and how far uh, one can or should go when it comes to um, cases like this, where you suspect that some form of abuse might be happening. Yeah, so the in this particular case, uh, the intervention of the community and the police uh, coming seem to coincide. They seem to be very close in time. But one can imagine uh, very different scenarios where the community comes in, maybe at an early stage uh, to kind of solicit information about what's happening in the family, offer advice, uh, you know, especially in close-knit communities, you can imagine that people might be advising parents who uh, uh, whose parenting style might actually be abusive. They might not even recognize it as that, and so on and so forth, right? So the the real question today is about community. Are we living in a context where we feel secure enough or have the right to uh, speak about the problems that might be happening in a different household? So for what it's worth, the Child Act, at least, has a stipulation that neighbours have discretion and are, in fact, encouraged to inform the authorities if abuse occurs in their neighbours' homes. But actually, that point you made about um, the sort of communities that we live in, it's almost a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because in Malaysian society, of course, this is changing and it can also differ from area to area. But largely in Malaysian neighbourhoods and communities, the assumption is that we are largely... um, uh, you know, close-knit sort of people. We tend to know who we live nearby. Um, people might have friends in the neighborhood. You know what's going on. But that can also be, that could also make it a little bit more difficult uh, to do what is often viewed as being, quote-unquote, um, sticking your nose into someone's business or going up, going to check whether something is all right. Whereas, um, and then the opposite of that is, if you live in areas where you don't know anybody and you sort of keep to yourself, is it then a little bit more challenging to even figure out what's happening or for others to know that something is wrong? Yeah, you know, I mean, Shamila, I've always lived in a highly urbanized sort of context. I mean, there was a point in my life where it was a bit more suburban. But even then, I think uh, this idea that we're close-knit is was true until, uh, until you know, the, I mean, the last 30 years of my life where I, yes, you might know your neighbor, you might have a visual sense of your neighbor, you might say hello going up and down the lift, but you don't actually interact in the way 
that, you know, that would be true of traditional Malaysian societies where, you know, people come over from food or and all that, uh, I think, has disappeared, at least from, I think, you know, the Klang Valley is. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering also, at what point do you think so? Calling the authorities is perhaps the the final point at which you feel, oh, this really needs um, intervention. But as you pointed out earlier, there are multiple steps in between where there might be a, a, a need or um, perhaps a person might feel um, a call to intervene in a particular way, maybe to just check in on someone, maybe to drop by, uh, maybe to step out if you hear a child crying or in distress. Um, and I often wonder about the lines of that and how difficult it might or might not be for somebody to do it. Um, I think, in fact, if I saw a clear case of abuse, I would report it because I think that's part of our responsibility living in a community. But when the area, when, when it's a little bit grey, um, when perhaps you don't see actual evidence but you suspect something might be happening, um, what sort of action do you take? I think a lot of people might struggle with that. Confronting them is actually not as easy as well. Yeah, so there's the confront the issue of confrontation, the, of engagement. There's also the idea of clarity. If you are a witness, but you're not entirely sure what's going on, then it becomes uh, quite difficult. And then the other thing is that if you're kind of approaching a situation of conflict, you might fear that your intervention will escalate that violence or escalate the abuse because the person might turn around to you and say, no, everything is fine, but then blame the victim for that uh, embarrassment and then take yeah, it out of the Yeah, especially if it's a child, right? Indeed. So there is this the, these complicated, I think, um, decision-making processes that go through the minds of a neighbour uh, when encountering such a situation. So we are talking about this because of a case of um, a boy uh, being um, a boy who um, has allegedly been abused by his mother as well as her female companion, which came to light because of the intervention of a member of the public. We would like to hear from you. When would you intervene in situations where you witness or hear about abuse? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We'll be back after this for your messages. So keep it here on the Evening Edition, BFM eighty nine point nine. Bole for Malaysia. Ha. BFM eighty nine point nine. The Business Station. It is 5.20. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. We've been talking about um, the case of abuse that um, had just recently been reported. A video went viral as well uh, from Pase Gudang, where a uh, child was allegedly abused by his mother and her female companion. Um, and this came to light because a member of the public actually intervened. So we've been asking you... When would you intervene in situations where you witness or hear about abuse? If you have um, examples um, where you have actually taken action, tell us about them as well. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We have a number of um, messages coming in on this, but before we get to them, Sharad, I wanted to ask you whether this is something you've done or you see yourself doing. Yeah, I think. Uh... Uh, there's been 
several occasions I, I've reported um, what I thought was a situation of abuse or violence uh, to the police. It turned out it wasn't. Uh, I've been in situations where I've actually come up to a couple who were fighting and, you know, I spoke directly to the woman because I thought she was the one in danger. And the man, interestingly enough, turned to me and said he it was okay. But I insisted, um, and I don't know where that came from because it does take a bit of courage. Um, I insisted that the woman tell me she was okay. Uh, but uh, th- there have been many times where I hesitated. In fact, I think for the vast majority of times and in context of situations like that, I've actually hesitated to take action. No, I can understand the hesitation as well because you have so much, um, so many roadblocks, right? In one, On the one hand, you wonder whether you might be misreading a situation. Indeed. Um, and you don't want to get someone into trouble. So something like calling the authorities um, can often feel quite daunting if nothing was actually wrong. But on the other hand, um, for instance, if you're walking about in public, and it's happened to me once where I was in a mall and I saw a woman with her male partner sort of looking like she was in distress, although nothing physical was happening. Um, And what I ended up doing was sort of walking up to her and asking her for directions and kind of trying to indicate to her through my expressions that if something was wrong, she could maybe come with me to show the place or whatever. Um, She smiled and she seemed all right. I don't know, to be fair. It could have just been uh, actually a way of diffusing the tension yes. between a couple that yeah. kind of get lost in the um, the passions of the moment, right? The, uh, the heat of the moment, sort of in anger, they re- they forget they're in public. Yes, but um, actually a lot of uh, people are bringing up issues around um, the intervention as well. Now, because in this particular case it was a child, uh, let's see, Cheryl is saying, uh, well, seven years old, is the child going to school? Wouldn't the teachers have seen anything amiss? Which I think can go either way, right? I mean, uh, in some cases, children who are undergoing, sadly, abuse, um, the, the personality, the attitude, it could be quite visible. In other cases, nobody ever realises. And also, if uh, there are marks on their bodies, unless they're in a situation where, well, they do physical ed or something, they take their shirt off, why and how would a char- uh, teacher know that? Though, I think the idea is that schools are also equipped to uh, pick up on signs of abuse uh, but uh, the neighbours perhaps spend as much or maybe more time with uh, in the context or in the vicinity of families and so when child abuse happens um, you know they're probably more likely to wis- witness it. Well equanimity says one can only call the police because if one interferes in such cases, it can complicate the case if one of the family members then makes a report um, in, in contra. And then the police will look for you for unnecessary questioning, even if you were trying to help in that situation. Yeah, so this uh, interestingly brings up the, the question of Good Samaritan laws that you have in other countries. That apparently, I did a quick look at search, we don't have one. Mm. Uh, but that indemnifies the person intervening, right? It's The idea is that the person intervening does it on the basis of goodwill or out of kindness in order to help so uh, maybe in a situation like that I mean I, I don't know if the police will want to find fault with you if you are unless it's mischievous uh, you know uh, reporting such a an event or, or your suspicion that something is going wrong in that family I'm also inclined to think that for most people a little bit of inconvenience in terms of unnecessary questioning or having to perhaps go and provide a statement is worth it if it meant that you have helped someone who was in a difficult situation. 
Indeed. Yeah, I mean, so the, it comes back to all our thresholds, right? Yeah. What is it that we're willing to do? I wonder, though, Shamila, when you think about children and upbringing, because parents have very different notions of, say, discipline. There are parents, ah. right, who think that it's perfectly all right to smack a child. So MZ actually is bringing up, um, I think, a relevant point saying, if you go back 30, 40, 50 years ago, would you think what we define as abuse now would be defined as abuse then? And I think that's particularly relevant when we talk about children and what counts as, quote unquote, fair punishment and crossing the line. Yeah, so uh, I would only say that, you know, I think there's a consensus that is built up, uh, you know, or evolves over time. So, yes, it might have been true of what happened in the past. And, you know, um, I had my granny once, you know, she was in the 80s and speaking how she was smacked by her her mother-in-law then, you know, and really hurt her finger. She was still traumatized by it you know, uh, 80 <laughs> years later. Uh, the question really was, um, or oh, 70 years later, rather. But I mean, the question is, what we, what is our, what are our standards now, right? And so how do we negotiate that? Because the negotiation might not be in accusing the person doing the abuse of abuse. It might be saying, hey, you know, maybe there's another way, you know, and diffusing situations. These are all different strategies that are available to us. So speaking of intervening, TIDJ says, I've intervened in two situations where women were being verbally assaulted by men. I'm a mummy's boy and I've always been overly protective of women. Allegedly, I even stood up to a boy older than I was who was bullying my sister when I was three or four years old. Yeah, so TIDJ, tell us what happened in those situations. If Did... Were you successful with the oh, men? Actually, TIDJ is back oh. saying, speaking about the police, one of the men I stood up to tried taunting me to throw a punch. I loudly told him, I'm not going to punch you. If you have an issue, the bala is just down the road. Let's go there. That That is good responding. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one strategy, but it could mean you have to be prepared for a level of escalation, right? Uh, if the person is belligerent, uh, because some people back down and some people just uh, are riled up by any anybody who presumes to intervene what they consider personal matter. No, and, and this is why actually this notion of intervention can be quite daunting for so many people. And um, and as you said, the threshold of what one is willing to do can vary as well. Leng actually um, is bringing up the point about, um, well, men and women and, and how those can be quite tricky as well. Because Leng is saying, to be honest, the reason why people report and intervene is because there is no presence of the husband. People often will not dare to intervene if there's a man present. People will say, jangan jaga tepi kain orang. Yeah, the... Uh the Pikai and Orang issue is is a real one. We started off that you know that uh, with that idea, Shamla earlier saying what is the level of um, intimacy that we have with our neighbours? How far can we go? Uh, when does it become intrusive, and when does it become fair and just? We, I think we have time for this from Zara, who says, I live in a condo, heard a neighbour screaming quite scarily, not sure what to do, not even sure which apartment, called the condo guards to check it out, saying which apartment I thought it was. They reported back that the neighbour told them it was noise from the air conditioning. The screaming did stop, but just thinking about how it would be good if condo guards were giving training for intervention in household abuse. This is actually such in, a good point because... Um, Living in apartments or condos, often it can be quite difficult to know what to do, where the noise is coming from. And your first port of call, which is usually your building management or your security guards, if they are not trained to handle these situations, as a resident, it can be quite 
confusing, if not downright scary. But I wonder though, you know, often, and we've seen this of abuse of guards themselves, yes. they are often l- less empowered than fellow residents. And so uh, asking them to be on the front lines uh, in a situation like that might be unrealistic. No, I think empowering um, empowering guards, for instance, is a whole other issue, um, which really needs a lot more discussion. We are um, out of time, at least on this side of things, but keep your thoughts coming. Um, you can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We're asking you: When would you intervene in situations where you witness or hear about abuse? We'll continue the conversation after the break. So keep it here, BFM eighty nine point nine. Bombing frustrated minds, BFM eighty nine point nine. It is 5.38. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. We are talking about intervening when it comes to cases of abuse. Um, this comes on the wake of a uh, case in Pasegudang where a child was um, found to have allegedly been abused by his mother as well as her female companion. Um, and this was reported by members of the public. So we've been asking you, when would you intervene in situations where you witness or hear about abuse? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We have a message from Din that says, "My neighbors and I have a cordial relationship. We tell each other when we're going away, so we can help each other water plants, keep an eye on the house. We buy each other cakes or fruits from time to time, that sort of thing. But generally, I wouldn't say we have a close relationship or anything approaching a friendship. And I'm not sure if it's even something I want. But because it's a neighborhood of terrace houses. You can't help but hear things. And it was especially bad during the pandemic. Huge arguments, doors slamming, crockery breaking, children screaming. And it always feels like an impossible thing to assess whether it's just someone having an especially bad day or whether you're lis- you, or whether what you're listening to is abuse. In such moments, calling the authorities feels like a massive overreach, but knocking on the door feels like you're being a busybody. And I'm genuinely not sure what the correct thing to do is. Yeah, so, you know, what's interesting about what Din just said, and also that's true, I think, of the, the story that we started with, the news story, which is, a, it is about community, right? It's not an intervention that happens in public or with among strangers, but somebody you have some familiarity with. It could be just a minimally kind of visual familiarity. They know that you're a neighbor, you're not a neighbor, or it might even be that you had some minimal interaction. So I, I wonder about that, you know, the question of, the neighborly um, dimension of this problem, which is that if you already have some sort of relationship, if it's a crisis, doesn't it give you a kind of liberty to go a little further overreach and if you do overreach, you can always apologize. Oh, I feel almost the opposite. I feel like with strangers, at least there is an almost no harm, no foul way of I'm never going to see them again. If I made a mistake and, and you know, told the security guard in a mall, if nothing happened, fine. These are people I'm going to have to see again after, you know. How do you walk into a neighbor's house and sort of insinuate that they might have done something truly awful, actually, and then continue to ask them to water your plants the next week, you know. <laughs> okay. it's, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm saying, though, that I recognize why knowing what to do or even what you can or cannot do can be quite complicated. So you're saying, in a sense, that that feeling of neighborliness 
disincentivizes you from intervening? I think it could go either way. Maybe with very clear cases, it, it makes things very easy to react. But in cases like this that Din is pointing out where it's it's noise or, you know, someone yelling, um, what should you do to ascertain something actually happened feels quite, I don't know, to me, it feels a little bit like, oh, I'm not sure what I would do. Yeah, I mean, I think it's difficult, but I wonder if it's worth, you know, if we kind of think about it, whether it's worth taking the risk. I know it's uncomfortable, but, you know, uh, and I remember a situation where in my neighborhood, somebody said to me that they had suicidal thoughts, and this was an older man. And I didn't know if, if he said it to me in a way that was serious enough to report it to his son, because that's exactly my dilemma. Should I report it to his son? And I did. And it turned out to be nothing, but the son thanked me. And I think, you know, I took a risk, and I think it's worth thinking about whether, because does the situation warrant taking that kind of risk? I, by and large, agree, actually, that if you feel you can put yourself out there and take that risk, that it is. The the ability to perhaps save someone from harm is worth a little bit of discomfort. It's just maybe figuring that out for yourself can often be a bit of a challenge. Palin actually has an experience. Um, so she says, saw my neighbor hitting his daughter, went over to threaten to call the police. Her mom was already on the phone calling the police. To my horror of horrors, she was calling them on the daughter instead. Granted, they're in a tough situation, low income, low education. Daughter has untreated ADHD and a learning disability, which has led to severe behavioral problems. What else can one do? Yeah, so the threatening of police, so this is where maybe training comes in and I don't know where and who would give it, but how do we know how to respond so we don't escalate uh, a bad situation, right? How do we react in a way that uh, might prevent it, uh, not just escalating in the in the immediate sense, but in the long term? So if you start to sound like a, uh, a neighbor who cares about how children are treated in your neighborhood, maybe it just dials down on the possibility of views. I mean, it might, you know, push it underground, as it were, but it also maybe gets people thinking that this is not uh, unacceptable behavior. I also do think, actually, that there needs to be training on the part of um, the authorities on, in terms of how they intervene, um, that it isn't always a case of, you know, perhaps something requires more delicate handling, perhaps something requires just coming in to check instead of it turning into a full-on, we're going to break down the door and run in, you know. Um, and those are nuances of situations that would also make people in the community feel a little bit more um, comfortable about turning to the authorities without it having to turn into an escalation. Um, I'm also just thinking that um, someone... And you mentioned this earlier, Sharad, that even just someone showing up to diffuse a situation um, could go a long way towards, at least in that case, someone not being abused or, or, or having harm done to them. Uh, DMA actually has uh, a fairly simple uh, set of principles saying harm to self, harm to others, harm from others, time to intervene. Yeah, the time to intervene uh, is absolutely right. I mean, you, you have your own measure for it. The question is, what kind of intervention? And I remember there was a Yasmin Ahmad film many years ago where this really lovely couple, uh, you know, befriends somebody who's a sex worker. And it, there was all this thing, you know, the, the questions that arise from the public over that was, 
well, that couple should have informed the police on their neighbor. And, they, you know, and I, you know, for me, it exemplified the way in which we've been trained to think of the police as that institution that should mediate all our conflicts and all our social relationships, rather than what, as what the couple did was to use love and understanding and empathy to, f- to kind of slowly change what was happening in that household. Let us know. When would you intervene in situations where you witness or hear about abuse? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Keep it here, BFM eighty nine point nine. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station. For more stories of the same kind. Download the BFM app.